It's kind of amazing, really, uh, when, when uh, your sermons or your preaching is not out of, just out of current events. I think current events uh, is where we apply it. And the one story of the Bible and the worship leader is singing about the one story of the Bible. A lot of similar themes come together every week. And uh, it was true in that first song today. Uh, there were some, some things I'll talk about, but I just want to mention that the, we talked about the second coming in, in the song that Pastor Bobby also referenced. And, and I think it's important. We kind of forgotten about that. This, this doesn't really have much to do with the sermon, except Jesus is coming back. We've got to get ready. But um, I, I, I just wanted to share just over our holiday. I have a nephew, my, my oldest uh, nephew or niece. Uh, he'll be, he's 38, uh, which really freaks me out. Um, but it means I'm way older than I thought I was. Uh, but, uh, but, but he's very quiet. He's a very uh, kind of introverted guy. He's like his grandfather, my father, um, my sister's father. And, uh, and he just, so I just didn't get to talk to him much. Even when we would be in town, you know, sometimes I wouldn't even get to see him or see him. And, and, uh, but about a year ago, something happened and just a guy at work, I won't tell the whole long story, but a guy at work came in and, and talked to him about something and it had to do with the second coming of Christ, but the guy didn't even know it. And, uh, and so my nephew asked him a few questions, and it was amazing what the guy said compared to, to what Justin knew, and the guy didn't know. And so it just set him on this course. He just felt like God was telling him he needed to study about the end times. We call that eschatology and the big words, uh, but about Jesus coming back. And he's been intense. So he came over when we were uh, traveling, and he stayed at 1130 at night. I was just talking about Jesus coming back. And uh, so now we're in a Bible study together on our phone uh, in the book of Revelation. And uh, I, I just think we got to get ready. I, I, I was kind of a Jesus people back in the 70s. If, a lot of y'all in here weren't even born by the 70s. So, uh, but older folks may remember the Jesus people movement. And I, I was kind of in that. Uh, that was my teenage years. And, and man, we talked about Jesus coming back all the time. And uh, in fact, I played for my nephew a song because I do that to people all the time. Uh, written by Barry McGuire, wrote Eve of Destruction, all then he got saved. And he wrote this song and said, are you tired of Jesus people coming to your door, telling you about, you know, heaven and hell? And Jesus said, well, don't wor worry, it won't be long and we'll all be gone. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about us. Uh, so I, I thought it was kind of a funny way to put it, but it's very true. But this morning, I, it is the first Sunday in 2020. We are now in the Roaring Twenties. Can you believe that? I don't think anybody in here is old enough to remember that. Okay, 1920s. But we are back in the 20s. But I thought about it, 2020. What is our vision? What is a good vision? And, and, and I kind of just live with something in my head. And you ever been with somebody and all of a sudden they said something? It just seemed totally out of context. Because their mind was thinking of something, and in their head, they were having that conversation with you, and then boom, they just said it. Happens to husbands and wives a lot. Um, and, and, and you're like, what? And Oh, I'm sorry, I was thinking about... Well, I'm always thinking about certain things, and then I just think all y'all get it. And Yeah, exactly. It's just like, well, you know, if, maybe if I told people what was in my head, that might help. You don't want to know everything in my head, I promise, but... But, but what, will, what will we do in this year? And listen, I, I, am, I am motivated uh, by the fact I, I'm going to see Jesus very, very soon, whether through physical death of this body or his second coming is not that far away, either one of those. Uh, and and, and it, it could be further than I think, and even then it won't be that far away. I like that saying. I thought it'd take longer to get this old, but some people think Jesus isn't coming back, but he is. And in fact, the Bible says when people start saying, oh, he's not coming, where's the promise of his coming? And Jesus said, well, like it was in the days of Noah, they're just living their life, not even thinking about it, that's what I'm coming. And, 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 uh, and, and so I think we need to be conscious of that. And so what we'll be, be doing this year? Uh, in, in 2 Peter 1, Peter says, I, I got so many things I want to say, and I don't have enough time to say them all. I'm going to take several weeks to say a lot of things, I hope. Uh, but in 2 Peter, he says, to remind you of these things, not weary me at all. And as long as I got breath in my body, as long as I live in this earthly tent, I'm going to keep telling you. And that's 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 to 15. If I were you, I'd write that down and read those for yourself later. And, and so I'm, I'm going to repeat myself a lot. And, and so what are we doing this year? And the thing I want you to remember is... We only have two jobs as a church. Go ahead. Well, maybe just 
one, okay? I'm going to talk about everything the church ought to be doing in four words, equaling two jobs, but those two jobs are really one job. So I'm, I'm going to take it from the macro down to the micro, and then we're going to go back out to the macro in the coming weeks, okay? My, my brother-in-law, he, he used to be a truck driver, a long-distance long truck driver, 18-wheelers, and uh, he lost his license in three states due to personal bad choices. And so for a long time, he was kind of messed up. And then the time came, he could get everything back, and he did. He got everything back together, and, and God just really blessed him, rescued him. And uh, he's living for the Lord now. And, and, he, um, and he found a job with a trucking company, and he had to go out west somewhere for about three weeks. In fact, it was the same time we were coming here to, to uh, interview with you guys, and he left to go to somewhere, Colorado or something, to, to go to their orientation school. And he, of course, they put him with a roommate while he was out there. And so we were talking to him on the phone. How's it going? Oh, how's your roommate? Well, he's okay. And so it came down to the testing time. And we said, how's your roommate doing? And he said, uh, he's gone. We said, what do you mean he's gone? He said, he failed his drug test. Yeah, I know. It's sad. And, and Janice said, are you telling me he only had one thing not to do and he couldn't do that? <laughs> and, and, you know, sometimes we just are like that, right? It's like... Adam and Eve, one thing, don't do that. Everything's going to be cool. That's the one thing they went and did, right? I'm wearing a pair of socks today just to show you. <laughs> I didn't wear them just to show you, but something happened today that I did not realize. These are just some socks. I don't really care. I'm like the comedian says, somebody told me my socks don't match. I said, yes, they do because I go by thickness. Um, but, and I literally do that sometimes, but... But just some socks somewhere, get someone gave me, and I wear them. And, and I'm, I'm going to show you, you can't really tell. But as you can see, there's a watermelon slice, a glass of iced tea, and a salt shaker, which is very southern, right? So we're sitting in Sunday school this morning, and Janice pokes me and whispers in my ear, Do you realize your socks are about mixed drinks? <laughs> no, they're not. She goes, Yeah, that's a lime, margarita, and a salt shaker. Now, she drinks a lot more than I do, so she would know. Just kidding. Just kidding. That joke was too good to let it just lay there. I had to do it. Even when you mean to do right. Sometimes, like, I don't know if I can even wear these in good conscience anymore. No, it's just a watermelon iced tea to me with salt. Some people put salt in the water. I don't put salt in my watermelon, but some people do. So even if we mean to do the job, sometimes we don't do it, or we don't get around to it, don't do it right. And so I'm going to give you the four words. Go ahead and put them up. Uh, it should be the next slide. Okay. And I'm going to read those to you. We do evangelism and edification. That's on the left side. Individual and corporately. That's on the right side. And the cross is in the middle because we do evangelism by individually and corporately. And we do edification individually and corporately. And this thing has been in my head for 40 years. And I realized that those words, y'all read that and went, what does he mean by that? So... I just put it back into my southern talk. So let's go to the next slide. Oh, man, you can barely read that. It's in red up there. Evangelism means talk to people about Jesus. Edification means teach people what they ought to know. Individually means you need to do that when you're all by yourself. And corporate means we got to do all that together, too. That's the whole duty of the church right there. Now, I said, maybe it's just one job, because I believe if we edify right, evangelism would happen. But we have to evangelize. We have to tell people about Jesus, bring them to know him, to teach them what they need to know. But if we teach them what they need to know, they'll do and tell people about Jesus, right? So that's kind of a circle that doesn't end. You've got to bring people to know Jesus to teach them. But the people that are here, we've got to teach them so they'll go tell people about Jesus, Right? I know that sounds like circular reasoning, but that is the propagation of the gospel. You know, we grow farmers grow crops. Parts of those crops, especially in the old days, you don't harvest. You let it go to seed, right? So you've got seed to plant next year. So it's a cycle. Same thing with this. It's, it's cyclical. And I promise you, if you can remember that, you know everything the church ought to be doing. The problem is, how do you do it? That's when we get into complicated matters. Okay? Like... How do we tell people about Jesus, and how do we teach them? 
And we think we do that well, but when you look at the data, when you look at statistics, uh, sometimes it, it may not be as good as we thought. And I don't have any statistics or data about that today, um, uh, and I won't have it. But I know that I'm always doing worse than I think I am. That's why some ancient Greek philosopher said, uh, an un- it might not have been a Greek philosopher, but somebody said an unexamined life is not worth living. In other words, we've got to keep up with what we're doing. And, and if you begin to do that, you begin going, hmm. Not doing as well as I thought I was, right? So that's what this is about this morning. I want you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. And I'm just going to go over one little thing that we say, but I'm going to introduce you to a couple of other things. And, and uh, I promise you, that chart right there, I can draw it out any time, any day of the week. You make, wake me up at 2 in the morning. What's the job of the church? And I'll write that down. Evangelism, edification, and individually, corporately. Tell people about Jesus, teach them what they need to know by myself and with everybody else. That's what it means, okay? And I don't want you to know that until somebody says, what's your church all about? Say, oh, we're about telling people about Jesus and helping them learn what they need to know. And I do that when I'm by myself. And sometimes we do it together. Right? Is that easy? Please tell me that's easy. Because I don't know if I can make it any more simple like, than that. Simpler, more simple, either way. So if you're with me in Ephesians 2, let's just stand up as I read it and help you focus. And you... Who's you? Me. Yeah, you, all of us. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Oh, thank God for verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, passes, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. And Lord, no man is able to um, fully uh, portray everything that you have put in your word and, and do it as accurately as you've given it to us. But Lord, we know that you give us what we need to know and you give us enough that we can, that we can do your will. And so I just ask today that you would help me communicate clearly but rightly. And God, that you would help all of us as hearers of your word to hear it and apply it into our own lives. Lord, help us as uh, one part of your church, but as the church here in Stanton, that we would be obedient to your will and to, you, to what you've given us to do. Amen. You can be seated. And uh, in trying to figure out how to communicate all this, um, three years ago when I got here, as I was thinking about it, I had some, I had some phrases in my mind already. As I said, I kind of live with this stuff in my head all the time. And I thought about our initial CBC. And I, I went to a school called Columbia Bible College, and even if you're in the grad school, which is when I went, uh, you still said I'd go to CBC. It was just easy. So then when it says CBC here, if I go say it, I'll say Columbia Bible College instead of Calvary Baptist Church. So forgive me if I do that today. I'll just go ahead and put that out there. I, I can't remember anything anymore. But here at Calvary Baptist Church, I just took those initials, CBC, Calvary Baptist Church, and I came up with three little phrases, called by God to become his disciple and carry his message. What's our job? To tell people about Jesus and teach them what they need to know. Well, discipleship is teaching people what they need to know. That's a big word. Another word for edification, which is the biggest word we can use for that. It means to grow stronger together. Edify does. Uh, uh, but, to, but to help people become a, a disciple of Christ. And so I want to go through those three phrases uh, with you this morning, just a moment. And the first phrase covers the first nine verses of chapter 2 of Ephesians. And that is, we are called by God. God has called us 
to salvation. That's, that's the call of God. To come to Him in repentance and let Him save us from our sin. Does everybody agree with that? Wow, that wasn't many of you. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. Okay, yeah, that's where it starts. That's where it begins. And, and, and just quickly, everybody knows, but I'm going to say it anyway. We, there was a point in my life where I realized that God would save me, and I say I was saved. That, for me, was at eight years old. But every day I wake up, God is saving me. Because I need Him every hour. Every hour I need Him, right? And then whether I die or He comes back, He will ultimately save me, right? And we call that complete sanctification. From way down there to way up here, we have sanctification happening. That's another big word, means to make holy. And so... From the time I first realized that God has saved me until I see him face to face, he's making me look more and more and more and more like Jesus. Right? That's the process. I'm teaching you big words and, and, and concepts here at the same time. If you're not growing to look more like Jesus, there's a problem somewhere. And you need to check that out. Uh, but I want to just start with... Salvation. Notice what he says here in Ephesians 2. And we sang these phrases in some of our songs today. Talked about raising people from the dead. It says, you were dead. What does it mean when the Bible says you were dead? It means you were dead. That's not complicated. Now, you got to think about what does that mean though. Well, dead means unresponsive, right? It means there's no life in you. And if there's no life, you're unresponsive. I can yell at a rock. I can stub my toe on a rock and yell at it all day. And it's not going to say, I'm sorry. It's not going to move out of the way. It's just going to sit there. Why? Because it's not alive. It's dead. Well, if you are dead, and then notice he says you're dead in trespasses and sin. What is he saying? He says, I'm dead spiritually to whatever God is saying because my life is found in trespasses and sin that he says I used to walk in. Try to ignore the numbers in those verses because we put the numbers in weird places sometimes. The sentence is, you were dead in, your, in the trespasses and sins in which you walked. You were following the course of this world. You are just doing what came naturally in this world. The, you were following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. We were talking about that in Sunday school. What, how do we uh, uh, correspond or how do we deal with the evil in the world? Well, we don't live like that. that that's our response. We personally repent and say, I'm not going to live my life like that. I'm going to live the way God tells me. And people say, well, I don't think you need, I don't care what you think. And you shouldn't care what, because that's your opinion. That's my opinion. And opinions are like noses. We all got them and they smell. Thank you, Pastor Andy. He gave me that this week. <laughs> he helped me baptize things I would say. And I appreciate that. This is God's word, and God's word says I was dead in trespasses and sin. I was walking away that was not going to end very well at all. And it says that, uh, um, in verse 4, But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loves, even when you were dead, verse 5, in your trespasses, made us alive together. Now some of y'all still are holding your King James, and that's fine. I got one and I like it. Um, and in and, and, and King James it says quickened. Well, I never knew what that word meant until I got a little bit older. Quickened means to make alive, okay? And so uh, the ESV just translates in our modern language says he made you alive. Why did he have to make you alive? Have you ever seen a dead person raise themselves from the dead other than Jesus? No, of course not. Why? Because you're dead. Because <laughs> you're dead. In other words, salvation, if God doesn't make you alive, you ain't coming to life. Now, that's going to play into this later on when we talk about evangelism. I can't, I can't get you saved. I can tell you about a Savior who can wake you up, bring you to life, bring you to know Him. We go from obeying Satan to being seated with Christ. In the same book of Ephesians, he says, For you've been seated in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And we were first just sitting with Satan, hanging out with him, obeying him, and now we're sitting with Christ. What an amazing transformation. Pastor Bobby was saying, Jesus said we could do greater works. We forget. We think salvation is an awe moment. It's an awe moment. When a little child 
who's tender enough to listen to God, opens their heart and life to God and invites Jesus to take up residency and take over their life. Which sweet. No, that's a miracle. Because that child was dead and trespassing and sin. And God grabbed him and woke him up and brought him to life. When you got saved, my friend, it was not just a, well, I want to get some fire insurance. So I'm going to, I'm going to claim Jesus. So make sure when I die, I don't go to hell. And I'm going to live any way I want until that day comes. And I'm going to cash it in. And remember when I was 12? I knew this day was coming. So here's my, here's my insurance policy. No, that is not how it works. God takes you from death to life. Man, that's radical. That is very radical. If you've got a dead body laying there and all of a sudden they wake up and go, Hey, how's it going? You're going to freak right out. I promise you. If there wasn't a back door in this building, I'd put one in if that happened. We are saved, it says in verse 9, by grace through faith. Right? Look at verse 9. Or verse 8, I'm sorry. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's talking about the faith. You see, my father passed away, my mother passed away. And both of them, as they lay there dead, could not respond to me. I could have looked at my dad or my mom, who never had a lot in this life, and said, Mom, Dad, I just won the lottery and I'm going to give you a million dollars. And they would not have responded. Why? Because they're dead. So if I come to you and you're dead and I say to you, I know how you can get eternal life. You're not going to respond because you're dead. Unless, unless, but God, he brings you to life. Let me just, let me, let me give you the application of that. If you're sitting here and you have never obeyed God, you've never come to God and said, you're right, I'm a sinner and I need you. I need you to, to give me your life that you've already given for me. I, I want that for me. You've never done that. And you care at all about that happening you, you better get it on. Because only God will tell you that. Satan will keep you blinded. He'll keep you as far away from that truth as he possibly can. He wants you to be comfortable in the graveyard. And I don't ever want a church that I'm pastor of to be a comfortable place from which people can go to hell. Friend, let me just tell you, you need Jesus. And if you don't know him, if you don't have a relationship with him, if he's not real to you, if you don't have a life, his life in you, and you at all give a flip about that, that's God telling you, you need to come to him and be saved today. That's just a fact. Now, most of you in here... You've come to that place. You know the Lord. And I just rejoice in that. I rejoice in that for me. Because, friend, I couldn't go on if, if I didn't know Christ. But we are saved by grace through faith. And even that's not of ourselves. It is a gift of God. And verse 9 says, Not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. A friend of mine told me one time, If you go to hell, that's not God's fault. And if you go to heaven, that's not your fault. And that's what I'm trying to emphasize, that second part there in verse 9. It, it's not that you did something. You know, we say that sometimes at funerals, like, oh, he's a good man. If anybody's going to heaven, it's them. They were such a good person. No, they were an evil, wicked, desperately wicked person that God saved. And brought to life and turned them into an image of Christ. Worked in their life until they looked more and more like Jesus. When you see a good man glorify God, don't glorify the man. When they built the Billy Graham Library and he was adva well advanced in years and, and very ill and his son took him and dadless, you know, took him in, let him see all the things that they had made. And they went through it and a reporter put a mic in his face and said, what do you think? And he said, I think it's too much about Billy Graham. Because everything good in our life is a gift from God. He is the father of light, and he gives good gifts to his children. And in him, there's no variableness. There's no shifting shadows at all. He gives us salvation. He gives us light. That is a gift from God. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. Nothing you can do for it except to say, you're right. I surrender. And that's why in that first letter, we are called by God into salvation. That's not something you just walk into. That's something God does in you. 
And when he, he's, he says in Revelation, he's the Alpha. He's the beginning of our salvation. He's the Omega. He's the end. We start with him and we end with him. And the only, the only thing that we gave, Jonathan Edwards said this, the only contribution we give to salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And, the, and, and that's just where we live. That we are sinners in need of a Savior. And I, I just pray that God will use those words, if you don't know him, to say, yes, God has quickened me and I want Jesus. If you want Jesus, that's God. That's all I'm saying. I've talked to people, convinced them logically that they, that they needed a Savior, that they were lost, that all mankind is lost, by the way. Nobody's a special sinner. We're all sinners. Nobody's a worse sinner than another. Sinner's a sinner's a sinner. And we're all in that boat. And we need a Savior. And I've convinced people logically in their mind, told them and explained it to the point that they said, you're right, I'm going to go to hell. Uh, Ron, Ronnie Reagan, Ron Reagan's son, did an advertisement at the last Democratic uh, debate for atheists in America and the Freedom From Religion Salvation, uh, uh, Salvation, Freedom From Religion Organization. And at the end of it, he said, Ronald Reagan, lifetime atheist, not afraid of burning in hell. And I just quoted the Bible, thou fool. You're a fool if that's how you think. I mean, right now, even Darwin's convinced that there's a creator God. And he made all things in the spoken word in, seven, in six days and rested on the seventh. And everything that is, is his and belongs to him. And he does with it whatever. And if he calls you to salvation, the only answer you ought to give is yes. Thank you. Because you'll spend your life thanking him for that. Well, that's the first letter. Second letter is become his disciple. I thought that was going to be the shortest one. In Luke 14, um, in, in verse 10, it says, Because you were prepared for, uh, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He already has some things for us to do. And it's our job to find out what those things are. But, but there's a, a verse in Luke 14. And this is the first part. That was kind of evangelism. This part is about teaching people what they ought to know. And in Luke chapter 14 and verse 27. If I wrote this down right. Yes, I did. And actually, you could back up to verse 25, and I'm not going to have time to read it all, going through verse 33. So I'm just going to focus on 27, but write it down, 15, 25 through 33, and read it a little bit later for yourself. But listen to verse 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, people today, when something bad happens, say, oh, man, I'm so sorry. I say, well, it's just a cross I got to bear. That's a false statement. And the people in Jesus' day in that first century did not mistake what he was saying. Because what did they know a cross was for? To kill someone. And to kill them as slowly and as painfully as possible. And Jesus looks at all these people following him because he's fed them, he's raised their dead, he's healed their sick. And they're following him because they want all the goodies. And he turns around and he says... Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In other words, he says, if you're not willing to pick up a cross and die, you can't come. Now, in other parts of the, in other gospels, when he said this, they all turned around and left. They were like, oh, never mind. I was here for the biscuits. I'm out. And she gone. They just gone. There was 120 left when Jesus left. And only 11 of 12 disciples they work with every day. Right? And I just, I bring that verse out because I read a very interesting comment by Vance Havner many years ago. And I've never been able to shake it since then. Commenting on that verse, he said, he did not say you would be a bad disciple. He did not say you would be not a good disciple. He said, you cannot be. So just this morning, I looked the word up again, and it is the negation of power. It's the Greek word power, dunamis. But it means you don't have the power to be a disciple. The power of becoming a disciple is to lose everything. 
And if you're not willing to lose everything, you cannot be his disciple. That's what he said. And they went, oh, time out. Whoa, what are you saying? Now, do I think that everybody in this church ought to sell everything they own and break off every human relationship? Of course not. It's not what Jesus is saying. But when we, we like to say Jesus is first or God is first and I'm second, well, if God is first and you mean that as in, well, he's the most important, that means there's a number two. What God says is, I'm not first, I'm everything. It's like the guy that fell down the stairs and he hit the bottom and realized he didn't have any broken bones. Friday, I was painting. If you see white paint on me, that's, I was painting. Friday and Saturday, I had a little stepladder in the tub, painting over the tub. And I had to put some pressure up over here, and I leaned and did that, and that little ladder went whoop, and I went boom into the tub. And Janice wasn't home. Uh, was it Cameron was home? Uh, my daughter was there, and she said, Dad, what was that? And I said, I fell. She said, you all right? I said, yeah. And so then she wanted to baby me because she's vice mom. And I said, I'm all right. I'm all right. Well, you know, next morning I wasn't all right, but it's okay. Excedrin's an amazing cheap pharmaceutical. Um, <laughs> why was I going with all that? Um, yeah. I, I didn't have power to save myself there. That's for sure. It's, it's, it's you cannot be it. It, it, it can't work unless you're well. It, it doesn't mean I've got to sell everything. No. Oh, I was going to say, it's like the guy fell down the stairs. And at the bottom, he said, when he realized he wasn't hurt, he said, God, I'll give you anything. God said, I don't want anything. I want everything. Let me just tell you, God is an exclusive God. And he's a jealous God. He said in the Old Testament, he said in the New Testament, if it's all or nothing. If Jesus is not everything, he's nothing. And he never comes next. I'll get around to you. Jesus told whole parables about that. Let me get married. Let me, let me take care of my house. Let me bury my dad. I'll follow you. He goes, are you kidding me? No. You come now or don't come at all. So I told you, it's urgent. If you, if you feel like you, if you know in your head, man, I need Jesus, and you realize that, then do it now. You may not make it to your house today. We just live with that reality. I don't know when I'm going to die. God does. And it could be today. He doesn't let me know that because I probably live my life differently. And so I thank God I don't know. The Bible says when we have that hope, we purify ourselves, right? And so to become his disciple means to have means of growth. And it means that we should be growing personally in the means of grace. What are the means of grace? Bible reading, prayer, um, uh, fellowship with other believers. Coming, coming to church, giving of my income, witnessing. All these things bring grace into my life because I've got to stay in touch with God for those things to happen and to work in my life. And, and we have five things that we say the church should be about. And in fact, they're out there in, in the lobby in frames and you probably maybe haven't even noticed them. But I'm going to tell you what they said. I wrote, I wrote them down again to make sure I got it right. Thankful people worship. See, we ought to be a worshiping people. But you won't worship something you're not thankful to. Forced worship is not worship. But you'll worship someone that loved you and gave his life for you and saved you. And you realize it, that you are hopeless and helpless. But he loved you anyway and made you alive and brought him into salvation. You're going to say, "Woo! thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Praise God. So thankful people worship. And our church ought to be about worship. Jesus people serve people. That's the second commandment. First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's worship. Then he says, love your neighbors yourself. That's serving people. Well, you got to be saved to serve people because they don't care. They will take from you all day long and maybe not even say thank you. So do you quit? No, because you're saved. Your thanks comes from the Father who told you to serve others. And so you just serve. And if it means costing you everything, it doesn't matter because it costs Jesus everything to save us. Now he expects us to give up everything to serve him. Like I said, that means you got to sell everything. But it means that, G that God is the number one priority over everything. And whatever he says in every area of my life is how it's going to be. The third thing, rescued people find people and you shall be my witnesses. If I've been rescued, I'm going to turn around and rescue somebody else because I figured out how to get out of that situation, right? No, I didn't figure anything out. God rescued me, and I'm going to say, hey, he can rescue you. Come to God. Call out to him. He'll rescue you. And so rescued people find people that need rescuing, and that's evangelism. And then everyone needs the others. You can't do life alone. 
Right? Everybody needs somebody. That's fellowship. We, we got to have each other, y'all. Without each other, what do we got? And then change people grow. That's discipleship. That's edification. We're growing in him. And so we grow personally, but we also grow in a community. And that's those ways we grow. We got to do those things individually and in community again with each other. You see, we've got to have each other in a community. God's called us into a community of people. It's called Calvary Baptist Church. We are in a community and we got to be a community. We got to be together. Or as Benjamin Franklin said after one of their sessions in the first Congress, we better hang together. They're going to hang us all separately. And that's true of us. We got to hang together. We got to grow together. Listen, I grow best when I've got people challenging me, when I got people talking to me and looking into my life and saying, what about this and what about that? That's how we grow. That's how we get stronger and better. And that's edification. That's discipleship. That's when we come together to be look more and more like Jesus. So on the 19th, we're going to start CTI, Calvary Training Institute. That's what we call it. And uh, I'd picked that, I'd put the wrong date there for the 12th. But, but just so the church knows, our deacons and our pastor's council are going to go through a way for men to share with other men how to be men of God. I thought that would get thunderous applause. Yes. If God's called men to lead, then they ought to lead. But they got to prepare to lead. If I had four hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend the first three sharpening the axe. Somebody said that wasn't me, but it's true. And so our men, I've just said, hey, let's do this. And they said, yes, that's exactly what we need. We need our men to be encouraged, to be in community, to grow together. And so we're going to do that. You say, well, I'm not a deacon or on the council. When can I get in on that? I'll tell you what, if you want to come, you can come, but it's not going to be easy. It's not, homework will be done. You will not drop out of the class. We will work because that's what it's all about, right? They don't put championship rings on smooth hands. And the work is done when nobody's watching. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to go to work. And we're going to grow in community as men together. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm, I'm, I'm excited about that. I'm so excited. Our men, they're like, yes, this is what we need. That's what we want to do. That's, that's their response. They, it's like, yeah, good, let's do that. And it's going to be super fun and great. But as we become his disciple, then we got to carry his message, Right? We got to get out into the community in which our community lives and share with them the knowledge of salvation. You're in Ephesians, and I think that part of the good works is sharing Christ. But turn one page to Ephesians 3. It may be, you may not even have to turn the page. Ephesians 3, and beginning in verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which is given me by the working of his power. Notice how much he's talking about what God did, not what he does. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light, did you notice that? Because why? They're dead in trespasses and sin. They're lost in a dark place. And only the light of God can come in and raise us from the dead. He says, to bring light to, uh, for everyone, what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God, who created all things so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul's saying, listen, he gave me this gift so I could tell people about Jesus. Here's what's matter with the church. We forgot that the gospel came to us on its way to someone else. I don't know if you use Waze or, or some other GPS thing on your phone. But I, on, on my Waze, I use that and... And I can put in a destination. And then we could say, hey, can we stop off so-and-so? And I go, yeah. And I could put that in. And 
Is this a stop or is this a new destination? Well, it's just a stop. So I just click stop and, it take detour, and then it comes back to where I was headed, right? Well, guess what? The gospel came to you headed to somebody else. You're not a destination. You're just a stop along the road for the gospel to keep going. And when you forget that, we become the last generation of believers. And I don't think that's God's intention at all, do you? This church will not grow and it will not get healthier unless we are actually telling people about Jesus. Because telling people about Jesus, I promise you, you're going to need to learn more about him. you got to know him. you got to walk with him. It's easy for me to start a conversation. But I'm scared to death every time I do. Because that's just human nature. To talk to a stranger. To talk to somebody about Christ. Talk to somebody you know, especially. You see, it begins at the beginning. In, the, in the chapter 3 here in verse 7, he said, I was made... He, he was a blind man. He could not see the power of God. But do you remember the blind man Jesus healed? And, and, and the Pharisees dragged him into court and said, Who healed you? He goes, I don't know. They said, well, we know who he is and he's evil. He said, oh, do evil men help blind men see? They said, we know he's evil. You need to curse him. He said, whether he's evil or not, I don't know. But this one thing I do know, I was blind. Now I can see. That's where you start. See, we got this idea that we got to grow and to be just like Jesus before I can tell anybody else about salvation. Some of y'all lived a life in trespasses and sin. And now you've been made alive. And if you go back to your friends, they're going to go, say, what? I know you, man. No, we ran together. I know all about you. And you don't want to face that. And you're scared, you're embarrassed. But that'd be like, you know, almost drowning and not drowning, or somebody pulling you out, drowning, and bring you back to life. You wouldn't go, guess what? I drowned and that guy saved me. And now I'm taking swimming lessons. I learned how to swim. You want to come with me? No, I know you. You could never swim. Served you right, you almost drowned. I don't believe you. Dude, I just want you to learn to swim like I learned to swim so that we can swim together and not either one of us drown. No, man, you're crazy. Just substitute salvation. Now, I know you. You live in a rotten life. You just you, you think you're better than me now because you know how to swim. No, I don't think I'm better. I just want you to find what I found, the joy that I've got, right? Right? If you adopt that attitude when you're talking to people and they get mad at you, you just go, okay, fine. See you. Leave. Man, I've been threatened. I've, I've had all kinds of weird things happen. You just love on people. So you begin. If you know Jesus, you can start. That guy knew Jesus for two minutes. And he would say, I don't know if he's evil or not. I don't get that part. All I know is I was blind, now I can see. What are you going to do with that? Because this is the result of discipleship. And so here's the big question people ask. I know time is almost done and, and I'm, I'm going to get there. And that is what comes first, evangelism or, or discipleship? Do I tell people about Jesus or I help people grow? Well, I know this. I can tell a bunch of people about Jesus and they can get saved. And that's a great thing. And I ought to do that. I didn't realize it's my responsibility to teach them about Christ. But if I teach people how to live in Christ, guess what's going to happen? If I teach them right, they're going to go tell people about Jesus, right? So we talk a lot about telling people about Jesus, but we don't talk much about teaching people how to tell people about Jesus. That'd be like having a lifeguard stand and saying, Hey, how many of y'all can swim? I can. You want to take a turn on the chair as a lifeguard? Sure, why not? And then somebody's out there drowning. You go, what do you do? Well, I'm not sure. Hey, uh, see if you can touch the bottom. <laughs> My son was a lifeguard at the Y, and we asked him about saving people. And he said, well, we tell people when they're drowning, just stand up because the pool's only that deep all the way through. <laughs> but they're there for kids and order and all those things. I get that. You know, God's called us to go rescue people, to go help them, to, to get them to know. And, and so we got to teach people how to do that. Not, not a trick. It's not something real hard to do, but just how do you start? How do you take a conversation, go in one direction and turn it to, to Christ? Well, it, it, you can just, God will help you with that. You can find out ways. I won't get too far off into that. And so I think we need to, definitely need to be training. And we, we talk a lot about 
talking about Christ, but we need to know Christ. And so this year we're going to emphasize a lot about discipling and knowing Christ. And then some people say, well, you know what? Do I do that here? There are people that feel like they're called to missions. And if they tell me they're called to missions, I ask them a simple question. What are you doing here? Because if you can't hit a home run on your home field, it's very doubtful you can hit a home run on a foreign field. So what are you doing right now? Where are you now? And the fact is, yes, true, we are in church. The fact is this, that if we're doing it here, we'll do it there. If we're, and if we're doing it there, we'll realize we need to do it here. I've never been on a mission trip. People say, why can't we do this when we get back? Well, we can. We just don't. Right? Amy, you've been, ever been on a mission trip? People like, oh, we, we ought to do that at our church. Yeah, we ought to. Let's do it. <laughs> but also, we got to go to all the world and preach the gospel. But friend, let me just tell you, if you feel like God wants to use you, you better train now here where you are. That's easy here. It only gets harder when you go away because you're separated from family and support and things that you've always known. And suddenly you're by yourself or you feel that way, at least at first. And so we need to carry his message everywhere. And we need to start here. We need to do it here, but we need to go and do it as well. So I only got two things for application, but the second one's got five things in it. So the first thing is confirm God's call for you to salvation. You say, I'm not sure about that. I'm not sure that I know Christ. Here's what he says, then come to me. Come to me. I'll give you salvation. See, we we invite people to come to Christ for salvation. That's not why we come to Christ. We come to Christ because we want to obey him and love him and be part of his plan. Salvation is like the icing on the cake. And we, we always put it in those terms. But I want you to understand that if you want Christ, then come. Come today. He wants you to come. But then the second question is, how are you growing? How are you actively getting becoming more and more like Christ. Listen, it's all an act of God. God starts it, God finishes it. But he has allowed us somehow, and I don't understand how this works. Man, I, I don't, I'm not an electrician. I don't even know how that works. But I do turn on the light switch when the room's dark. And what I'm telling you is that if you will do this, God will use it in your life. And you'll become more and more like Christ. So, I got five questions that aren't on the board or anywhere, but I'm going to ask them. You might want to jot some of this down. How do you consciously worship God every day? I mean, well, I read my Bible. I pray. No, did you consciously say, I'm going to worship you, Father, and worship Him? Worship God on purpose. By, you said, by myself? I need Andy to lead us in that song. No, you don't. I need Stuart to explain that Bible. No, you don't. The Holy Spirit lives in you if you're saved, and He can do all that for you. We are just up here trying to be examples of that every time. So where do you consciously worship every day? Because that ought to be in your life. Secondly, how much are you reading your Bible? I don't want you to do it just because you're supposed to, but I'd rather you do it because you're supposed to than not do it at all. Because if you're doing it just because you're supposed to, the Holy Spirit can show you something that will change your whole attitude, okay? So are you, or maybe you said, I'm going to study this one book all year long. It's like my nephew. He's studying the second coming. What does that mean? And he's learning a lot about the whole Bible, trying to solve that one topic, which he'll never solve, obviously. Are you going to take a class or a course? Again, on the 19th, we're going to do all that together. Thirdly, develop a prayer life. When do you pray? Where do you pray? And how do you pray? We were invited and we are going to participate. I don't have a lot of information, but next week we'll have it all for you. We're going to participate in 21 days of prayer. Um, uh, the, the two churches that came out of us, a Village and now United, they do 21 days of prayer. And they said, hey, Pastor, you know, we used to do this together. And I said, sure, let's do it. They've changed how we're going to do it. We're going to have prayer guides for you with prayer requests from each church. We're going to pray for them. Actually, six churches are involved, but these, but these three are going to be main ones. And on three consecutive Friday nights, we're going to have rally services where we pray together. And so hopefully that'll, that'll help you. But what fuels your prayers? How are you praying? 
And by the way, if you would like to, and, and it'll start after next week, you could fast sometime in those 21 days. You could fast all 21 days. You could fast one thing. And we will have links for you to go to to get information uh, if you're interested in fasting or you can just ask us. But then fourthly, give God no less than 10% of your income. You need to be given to God. That'll cause you to grow because you've got to have faith for the other 90% of stretch. <laughs> or maybe you realize you're spending 90% wastefully. And then, how much is church attendance a priority? In Hebrews 10, it says this, Do not forsake the summing of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. But come together to encourage, edify, help each other to love and good works. And then it says, Because if you go on sinning willfully after salvation, he calls not, not getting together in fellowship sin. And we've kind of forgotten that. We kind of think this is an option. This is not an option. This is a necessity for me. i got to be here. Because if I'm not around you guys, I'm going to kind of drift off and do my own thing. And i got a feeling most of y'all are like me. And so I know you say, well, I'm here, man. What do you want? I want you to come back next week. That's what I want. I want us to be faithful to fellowship with each other. And we're going to help that fellowship in other ways, not just in here, but uh, during our Sunday school time, uh, discipling time. We want to do all those things. So how are you growing? And will you commit that this year I'm going to look more like Jesus when 2021 rolls around? Because we need 2020 vision, don't we? We need to see clearly. And here's what God's calling you to. Because there's coming a day in the not too far distant future where you are going to die and face God. And in that time, you're going to have a, a, a different attitude. Nate Saint was one of the five missionaries that went to South America and was killed, along with uh, Jim Elliott and some others. This happened in the late 50s, but it was very famous. Elizabeth Elliott wrote many books. Uh, the, there's a Point of the Spear, Tip of the Spear. was a movie, a book and a movie Nate Saint's son wrote. Um, they killed five missionary men, and two of the wives, Nate Saint's wife and Jim Elliott's wife, went to that village at their invitation and led that village to Christ. And here's what Nate Saint said before he died. I'm going to try to read this without crying. And people who do not know the Lord ask why in the world we waste our lives as missionaries. They forget that they too are expending their lives. And when the bubble is burst, they will have nothing of eternal significance to show for the years they wasted. Yeah, no, I know. I, I found these quotes over the break, and I was sorry I did, because, man, it gets me right here, right? Man, am I wasting my life, or am I living it for the only things that are eternal?